0: that, Houston. All five, by 5
1: But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch. I'm, right. I'm Batman. Do no, or
2: do not. There is no tomorrow. Welcome to the Nerdverse podcast. Today we've got.
3: Dan Watkins, Andy Chandler, Ian McLaughlin, Peter
4: Johnson, John Father,
2: and I'm Hazel Burton. On our show today we've got a brand new set of recommendations for you, we're gonna go in-depth and spoilery on Joker, and Andy's come up with a quiz for us all, do you want to give a preview of what that quiz is gonna be?
3: It's a first lines quiz, you just need to name the famous nerdy movie character from the first lines that they ever speak on big screen.
4: It's with the lines,
2: I am Groot,
3: I know that one. Not anymore. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Let's get started.
4: What have you been up to Hazel? You've had an exciting experience since we last spoke.
2: I have, yes. I've just spent an amazing week in California and I went up and knocked on the door of the one and only Lucasfilm. <gasps> yes, it's and,
5: uh and you saw the Yoda statue. Uh
2: Yoda Fountain.
5: Fountain. <gasps> uh, like Soda
4: Fountain. <laughs> Yoda stream.
2: Yeah. Ooh, it kicks the Trovy Fountain's ass It's so much better than that. Yeah, so it's a private film studio, so you can't. Look around it, but the lobby is open to the public Monday to Friday, and it's full of the most amazing memorabilia ever. There's a life-size statue of Darth Vader and R2D2, but there's loads of little um, memorabilia like uh, Han Solo's blaster, um, Carrie's gun, um, a, the, a medal of Yavin.
5: Was it Chewbacca's medal from Yavin? Is that where it's been all these years? That's why he
4: doesn't have one? Yeah, <laughs> yes.
5: they left it in San
1: Francisco. <laughs> I think he probably refused medal because he was you know, a pacifist really and uh, a lot of people died in that movie and he had to kill mm-hmm. think, at the end. I thought his morals mm. were in the right place. He refused to take the
4: accolade. Yeah. We, we were watching it with our nephew a couple of weeks ago. Um, you were watching, we were watching it with, it with your nephew? nephew. You no, know, I was watching Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> they all know Tammy. Um, he's <laughs> three and a half. And you forget actually surprisingly violent film. Uh,
2: moving on to our review section. So this can be anything, TV, film, music, play, whatever. But it's stuff that we've been enjoying recently. Dan, what have you been enjoying recently?
5: Well, I have been enjoying recently the fantastic Maltese cake that Andy brought to this podcast recording. <laughs> yeah. It is one of the most excellent things I've ever tasted. And the ni- listeners will never know, but it, <laughs> it's really
2: nice. It is, isn't it?
5: Can we have a competition? Like, send them a slice. If yeah, they, if then.
4: you retweet and like the post, we will randomly send a slice of uh, Maltese Tiffin to somebody.
5: Yeah, we, we'll take a photo and put it on our Twitter page, and you will all be jealous. But uh, <laughs> my, my other recommendation is another podcast. <gasps> mm, I know, I'm sorry, but this is a history podcast but it's a history podcast for people who don't like history. It's called You're Dead to Me.
6: So it's very everybody, then. <laughs> yeah.
5: Um, uh, yeah. A history podcast for people who don't like history, or at least never got to learn much about it at school. But you love history, Don. I do. And it's good for me as well. It's hosted by Greg Jenner, who is probably most famous for being the chief nerd, as he calls himself, on Horrible Histories. Mm-hmm. And he's also a public historian. He's an author. He's a broadcaster. And for each episode, he takes a subject, whether it's Joan of Arc, the Spartans, uh, LGBTQ history, the history of football, gets a famous historian, who's an expert on the subject, and a famous comedian, puts them in a room together, and the comedian makes jokes, the historian tells the history, and everybody learns. (laughs) It's a good job that I do it the other way around, really. Yeah. Um, So
4: it's your fin fin show, basically. Yeah.
5: Um... (laughs) But they get really good people. it. Richard Herring's done an episode about Stonehenge. Ad Lloyd from Ostentatious has been on it. And the format's just really easy to get on board with. They start yeah. with the things that everybody thinks they know. The historian goes into detail. They get a little three-minute nuance window where they get to go really in-depth on something interesting that people don't know about. And then at the end, the comedian gets a little quiz to see how much they've picked up just in the 45 minutes and it's amazing how much you actually remember as a listener, all these great little bits of trivia. And
3: yeah, it's really good fun.
2: wish that had been around when I did my history degree. Yeah. I remembered more. <laughs> cool. Andy, what have you got?
3: I've seen a bunch of really good things recently, but for whatever reason, I'm going to review something that actually came out two years ago, because I only saw it one week ago and it's one of the absolute best things I've ever seen. It's called One Cut of the Dead ostensibly it's a low-budget Japanese horror comedy film in which a production shooting a cheap zombie flick is attacked by real zombies to the director's delight. But it's a lot more than that. Uh, It's very much a film of two halves. First, we've got a 37-minute-long zombie film shot in a single, unedited take on one handheld camera, which is impressive as hell. But when that's concluded, uh, the second part of the film is a fictionalised account of how the movie came to be first introducing you to the cast, showing them coming together. Then it shows the filming, revealing all the problems that arose during the shoot and how they were overcome. And that's where the film really reveals its heart and it becomes something quite special. So the first part is really entertaining on its own. It just begins with two actors filming a cliche zombie scene. The director yells cut. He steps in and starts berating them for acting instead of being real. They have a big argument. The director disappears somewhere. And then the action heads outside, all still on one shot. And one of the crew members is attacked by a real zombie, and gory, silly shenanigans ensue. It's really, really well filmed, I think, actually. Uh, it's got some good shots and some smart framing, which I think shows that it's not just a gimmick or it all being done in, in one shot. And it's really funny, uh, especially the director who frequently pops up in the middle of life and death struggles and just thrusts a camera into the actor's <laughs> faces and shouts action. It's huge fun but after the final shot we hear a shout of cut and we enter the second phase of the film which is shot and edited traditionally. It takes us back one month to a small time director being approached by representatives of the fledgling zombie channel who present him with the challenge of creating a 30 minute feature to be shot in a single take and broadcast live. He takes the project on and we meet uh, him and his wife and his caster characters who are an eclectic bunch. There's a prima donna leading man, uh, there's a drunk, there's a guy with an impossibly sensitive stomach. And these are all problems that are set up for later. And then we see the actual filming of the 37-minute one-take zombie film that we watched in the first section. And it's all done from behind the scenes and different angles. So you get to see crew members scrambling to get mm-hmm. people to their queues and get props in place. And people improvising when things go wrong. And this is where it really becomes great, I think. It kind of explains some awkward moments and mistakes from the film. So things like it shows that a zombie wasn't acting, he was drunk and being propped up by the director and pouring at a window because mm-hmm. his hand was being put there by the director. So it, it kind of initially seems like a plucky effort and a surprisingly entertainment thing from, from a ragtag group, but it turns out to have all been very carefully planned and it's an intelligent, intricate story. So it's really funny, it's, it's, it's full of heart, and ultimately it's, it's got stuff for horror fans and comedy fans and Japanophiles, but... Really, it's a love and tribute to low-budget filmmaking and the can-do spirit that says, let's put on a show. It's, it's a huge amount of I'm
4: fun. amazed I've never heard of this because it sounds right. sounds right oh, on the street, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so I'm <laughs> going to go and watch this. Where, where can we see it?
3: Well, if you fancy paying for it, you can get it on Amazon Prime, but I watched it on Shudder, which is a widely available streaming channel. You can get a free seven-day trial uh, yeah. with no obligation to carry on. And they've got all sorts of other gory. This is the harming.
4: channel that's got the new creep show. Yes, that's right. Which I've seen the first couple of episodes of, and that's really good as well. Mm-hmm. Clearly made for like five pence, but has the style of the original films.
2: John, do you want to talk about your recommendation?
4: No. <laughs> Why not?
2: Because it's actually a recommendation this time. It is actually a recommendation.
4: <laughs> I've seen what I think is one of my favourite films of the last few years. I was very lucky to go to a, a previous screen of The Irishman. The mm. Netflix uh, Martin Scorsese film, which I think comes out at the
2: end of November.
4: Yeah, I think it gets a cinema release at the start of November, and then hits Netflix two or three weeks later. Um, and it's amazing. It's Martin Scorsese; at his absolute best. It's I think it's the best thing he's done possibly since Goodfellas. So we start with a tracking shot that deliberately kind of echoes the one from Goodfellas. You know, where they go through the bar, but instead sort of full. Of excitement and life and vigour. It's going through an old people's home, very, very slowly, watching people go about the day, and then you zoom in on an aged-up Robert De Niro playing a character called Frank Sheeran, who was a union labour leader in the Teamsters in the 60s and 70s, I believe, and was also a hitman. Based on an allegedly true story called I Heard You Paint Houses, which apparently is the code word for for killing somebody. Someone will say to him, I heard you paint houses, and he replies, yes, and I also do my own carpentry, which means he'll get rid of a body afterwards. So we start with Robert De Niro, who starts in voiceover, but then starts talking to the camera. We never see who he's talking to, and we flash back throughout Frank Sheeran's life. It's all done with digital de-aging. We've got an entire film of Robert De Niro, Joe Pesky, um, Al Pacino, all going over decades of their lives. The first time you see it, it's distracting. Maybe for about the first couple of minutes. And every time a new character appears, so Al Pacino pops up about an hour in. And the first time you see a de-aged Al Pacino, it's quite distracting. But within a minute or so, you just completely forget because they're so well acted, so well performed, that they, 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 they just are these characters. It's the best that also Robert De Niro has done in a long, long time. He's really, really acting. And it's completely stolen by Joe Pesky, who has come out of retirement, especially to do the film. Apparently he said no to Martin Scorsese five times, mm-hmm. told Robert De Niro to fuck off twice, and kept putting <laughs> the phone down on him, and eventually was talked into doing it. And he, he plays a character who is the opposite. I keep talking about Goodfellas. It's very much a, a counterpart to Goodfellas, I think. It's like old man Goodfellas old fillers,
0: <laughs>
4: But Joe Pesky would normally play kind of the shouty, ranty, excitable character. He's not. He's very calm, completely in control, silent. And in the last third of the film, absolutely terrifying because of that. And it's it's really, it's just so, so, so good. It's it's a gangster film, but it's also a film about ageing, which I think, you know, it, it could only be made with these effects, I think. Mm-hmm. The, the digital de-aging is used as a storytelling tool rather than just a gimmick. If I was going to pick any holes in it... Bullet holes? Bullet holes. <laughs> um, is that, you know, it's, it's three and a half hours long, but it absolutely flies. With the exception that three quarters of the way through, there's a section where it gets a little bit dragged down in like union laws and teamster laws and...
5: Do I need to know what teamsters are?
4: It was a labour union, so if you know how a union works... It's the story, essentially, of Jimmy Hoffa, who was a teamster leader. He was the the head of the union, who mysteriously disappeared and was never seen again. There's lots of rumours about what happened to him. Um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that this film posits that Frank Sheeran killed him. Mm. And it's based hypothetically on a true story, but there's a school of thought that this guy was just talking shite on his deathbed.
5: Do you think it is an essential cinema watch, or will it still be good if you watch it on Netflix? I
4: would go and see it in the cinema.
5: Do you think it's going to be harmed by people pausing it halfway through because it's on Netflix?
4: Yes, particularly because of the length of it, and it's a film that rewards concentration, I think. Mm. It's such a shame that it's getting such a limited release, but nobody else would spend £200 on a three and a half hour. Mm.
6: But putting it another way, it probably will get a larger audience than it might have got otherwise.
4: Uh, Possibly, yeah. I think a lot of people will see it, but... A lot of people half watch it in a distracted manner, and it deserves more than that. The other niggle that I had is it's very much a man film. Mm-hmm. Anna Paquin, isn't it? I thought for a while she was doing a piano remake, there were so few lines. When she does speak, it's quite powerful, but the female characters are very, very sidelined.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
4: all told from a male perspective. But that's just the subject of the film. It's a film about gangsters and teamsters, the
3: de-aged actors did they seem initially distracting because the effects are slightly lacking or just because of the surprise of seeing them that way
4: the surprise of seeing them that way and, the of them that way. and there's, there's one or two shots that don't quite work i didn't notice it in 99 of the time but every so often there would be one shot or one angle that looked slightly jarring the, the lighting seems to be difficult the shadows yeah. and the lighting don't seem quite there. Humans
6: are very good at detecting reality as far Mm. as humans go and also with skin there's light scattering underneath the skin surface and the sort of semi translucency of the skin and that's something again that humans are quite good at spotting that a thing's not quite right.
4: You kind of go with it, it's never 100% convincing. If If you wanted to sit and watch it shot by shot with the aim of picking holes in the digital effects you probably could do but the story is so good and the acting is so good that you just, there is one point where Robert De Niro beats the shit out of somebody and it's a young man's head on an old man's body quite slowly trying to beat the shit out of somebody and that was slightly distracting.
5: Because I remember watching the trailer and having that moment of distraction just for those few seconds that you see them in the yeah. trailer and I didn't know whether that was unfinished effects or whether it's what you described, just that initial moment of, oh, that's different, which is a bit easier to get over when you've got three and a half hours rather than 90 seconds. Yeah.
4: And it works very well because you're going across somebody's life. And you don't get that jar sometimes you get in films where it's with makeup and effects where there's that jump, suddenly they've got grey hair and wrinkles. It, it, It gradually does it so you don't even notice.
5: And presumably Scorsese would have never been able to do a Richard Linklater style thing and shoot different bits to it at the right moment in the actor's mm, lives oh, no
2: what was that film called boyhood boyhood yes. and
5: he's he's doing a new one i think it's a stephen sondheim adaptation of i want to say Merrily we roll along which is going to be filmed over 20 years starting now
4: better check his health insurance
5: so how many painted houses out of 10 would you give it
4: i give it 10 painted houses out of 10 which i'm not sure i've ever given anything on this podcast before or certainly nothing that doesn't feature nicholas cage nine and a half out of ten because there's no Nicolas Cage (laughs) yeah it's one of my favourite things I've seen in a long time and go and see it in a cinema and give it the respect it deserves otherwise I will paint your house
5: (laughs) (laughs) and you don't do carpentry
2: Uh, I wanted to recommend The Staircase which is a true crime miniseries on Netflix it uh, documents the trial of Michael Peterson who is a novelist and was accused of murdering his wife, Kathleen, in 2001. Did he do it? <laughs> so the title of the staircase comes from the place where they found her, at the bottom of the stairs. He contests that um, he never did it and that she fell down the stairs, whereas uh, the prosecution argues that he bludgeoned her to death it's uh, 13 episodes long um so it starts from his arrest and goes all the way through his trial um, so michael peterson is um a famous author he was in the vietnam war and wrote three novels on the back of his experiences um there
4: was one called how i, Came how, My how Life. I did it,
2: <laughs> <laughs> if, I did it. <laughs> if i if i would have done it i would have done it this now, way O.J. U- U- simpson
4: actually <laughs> released a yes. book didn't it called was it if, if i did it and then the if was in yeah. tiny uh, font to try and sell the book <laughs> what a scamp <laughs>
2: He also wrote for the Durham Herald in North Carolina, where he publicly criticised the police and the district attorney who later was the main prosecutor in his trial. And that's important. Mm. (laughs) I watched it in two days. I was thoroughly, thoroughly gripped by it um, because there's kind of startling revelations in each episode, which I won't reveal, apart from one, which is very, very early on. Michael Peetton has an interesting family dynamic in that his wife Kathleen is his second wife, um, his first wife that he's still um, pretty good uh, friends with, but when they were together, they were pretty close friends with another couple and the woman from that couple ended up at the bottom of a staircase and died. Oh, <laughs> and did he do that one? So that gets brought up at, uh, at one point and they actually end up exhuming her body because it was, it was deemed an accident when she first died. So they kind of go through the whole, did she actually die falling or, or was it something more sinister than that? So they reveal pretty startling details around his life. This is how I would write a made-up series, but it's all real life, uh, really, really gripping. Um, I, would, I would give it a watch because I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since.
4: Mm. So was this a podcast originally?
2: It was a, a, a TV series that had about eight episodes, but things happened. So it's basically stretched over his trial from 2001 to maybe 2017 and a few th- extra things happened in the most recent years, which made it into a longer series. Mm-hmm.
4: So mm. do we get a definite conclusion? It's not like a making yeah. a murder of a...
2: Well, you get a definite conclusion in terms of what happens to him, mm-hmm. where, um, but the only people who really know what happened can't really tell us.
5: Mm. Yeah. I'm fairly sure there was a show at the Edinburgh Fringe this year by presumably the makers of the show. And you might have seen adverts for that, which could be, that might be what I'm where of. you've seen yeah. it from.
2: Yeah. It does have similarities to Making a Murderer in that um, aspersions are cast on the police and their abilities, their influence and uh, courtroom proceedings itself, um, but in a very kind of different way. So if, you, if you're a fan of that series, I would definitely check out The staircase. but you're in for a few surprises as well.
0: Ooh.
6: Sounds great. I wonder how many of these things, because obviously when they start filming these things, you've no idea what's going to turn out interesting or not. Yeah. So there must be loads of these where they've started filming or following a certain thing and they just say, oh, it's not yeah, n- It's a, not going anywhere. It was a
2: group of French filmmakers. Because he was a famous novelist, I thought this would be a really interesting um, thing to follow. I don't think even they could have predicted what mm. happened after that. Um, but they did say when they started filming, they wanted to film it 50-50 from both sides. So um, uh, what's happened is basically his family, uh, most of his family are on his side. Mm-hmm. But Kathleen's daughter from her first marriage and his sisters-in-law initially were on his side but as things revealed themselves they were adamantly against him and very much accused him of murder as the detectives described so they immediately ceased any support of the tv series so it is mainly from michael's side and his sons and um, and daughters who support him it's a yeah. really interesting watch yes.
4: is anybody thinking about doing a murder no why? Have you got a documentary? No, I just think it might be handy. Like if you're going to do a murder, if you let the documentary crew know beforehand, then they can get all the footage they need. So I think it'd be much mm. better. I mean, it may
6: be a short trial if you do that.
4: Um, yeah, I'd get a good lawyer. <laughs> Are you <laughs> offering? No. Well, you don't release the footage until after. Maybe you, you keep it in a locked box until everyone's forgotten about it.
2: Ian, what have you got?
1: I uh, have recently watched it two the second chapter of the reboot of the classic stephen king book and i, I really enjoyed the first the first chapter actually I thought it was, a, it was a pretty good reboot yeah. it had a lots of um, spielbergian feel stand by me stuff the kids were brilliant yeah. in it
4: it was very strange your things i thought yeah, chapter mm-hmm.
1: yeah, one. yeah. yeah. And it had, had all of that stuff and, and, and i like that a lot chapter two uh, they're all grown up and they have to fight pennywise again yes every 27 years he uh, reappears and they have to battle him again. Um, for the love of God, if you hold anything dear, never watch this movie. <laughs> it is the biggest pile of shit I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> petrid, sad life. It's awful. The acting is unbelievably bad. The script is terrible. The CGI is even worse. And you've got people like um, um, James McAvoy, good, great actors, yeah, just phoning it in. It's terrible. It's a horrendous scene in a restaurant, where they first get back together and decide they're going to fight the clown. And of course, Pennywise gets into people's heads and makes you hallucinate. So there's this big hallucination scene um, when they have these, um, it's a Chinese restaurant, they have all these fortune cookies and they open them up and these sort of huge locusts with baby heads come out flying around and they're trying to hit them with menus and chairs and stuff.
4: That's when we to get a one-star hygiene rating off the council, <laughs> <then? laughs> baby-headed
1: locusts. <laughs> but it's so badly directed that they're not even looking in the right direction at the CGI monsters. Honestly, it's seriously one of the worst bits of acting I've ever seen in my entire life. Imagine you all took laughing gas and then tried to recreate the alien chestburster scene. <laughs> it was pretty much what it was like. It took all of the horror out of Pennywise. who's one of the classic horror movie icons, and just turned into this terrible CGI thing that had no coulrophobia, isn't it? Fear of clowns. Yeah. Yes. There's no coulrophobia in this at all. Really? You no. Know, because he's not Pennywise anymore. He's just a thing, shape shifting. One minute he's a spider, and then he's a car. The clown's head and... and well, you're watching Transformers by mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <I> <laughs> <I'm right. laughs> but yeah, it's, 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 it's taken a, a, a classic idea and completely destroyed it. Mm-hmm. Has anyone else seen it?
4: I haven't, but I know from the book and the TV series, what worked really well was the intercutting between the children and the grown-up.
6: Yep. There and is a lot of that in the movie.
4: Is, is that still in Chapter 2, though? Yes. Because Chapter 1 seemed to split, and just telling the children's story in Chapter 1 seem to take a, a lot away from that compared to the TV
1: series. The first chapter is just the kids. But, and then in the second chapter, there are flashbacks, which is great because the kids are still brilliant. They're they had to camp.
4: digitally de-age the kids. Did they really? Yeah, because mm. they'd grown so much in the well, two years. Well, you, the can't see, you don't notice that at all no. in
1: the movie. But yeah, they, 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 they decided to take a book which was perfectly written, jumping backwards and forwards in time, and then split it into two to rake in the cash. And it's, 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 it's terrible. Please don't see it. In the world of It, then, would Pennywise come back in another
5: 27 years when they're old?
1: Well, unless they perform this ancient um, native Indian
4: ritual. Is, yeah. is the turtle in it, or did they not go that insane? There's no giant turtle. Because there is in the book. Mm. There's a giant turtle. Yeah. I think I might
1: have switched off by then. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long film as well, yeah. isn't yeah. it? <laughs> and of course, you know, it turns out to be an alien.
4: Yeah.
6: Which is a bit shit. That's not unusual for Stephen King, though. No. They're normally great setups, yeah. and they just don't deliver by the end. I have seen it as well. I didn't enjoy it as much as the first one. I thought the first one was a much better film. But I didn't, I didn't hate it as much as you did. Oh, oh, oh,
1: oh please don't say it. <laughs> How many baby-headed locusts out of 10? I'll give it minus 27 <laughs> baby-headed locusts. <laughs> it has no redeeming features.
2: Peter, bring his back. <laughs>
6: okay. Uh, something I shall recommend, because that's the idea with this, this sort of thing. Unrecommend. Um, <laughs> <I would> it's <laughs> really recommend. not. Anyway, I, recommend I recommend you don't see it. Yeah. Yay! So, yeah, today I was going to suggest something which I've only seen the first two episodes of, which I watched this morning. It's called uh, Living With Yourself, which Yay. is on Netflix. Have you seen it? Have you, Andy? I've seen half of it, and it's good. Oh, all right. I good. have
4: seen none of it. So you don't, so don't ruin it, you bastards. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Yeah, so it stars Paul Rudd and Paul Rudd, as they always say in a trailer for any movie like this, where someone is playing the same part twice. He's not having a good life, he's not getting on well with his wife, he's not successful at work, and he's just not coping very well. His colleague from work suggests that he goes to this special spa and pays them $50,000, and what they do is, in effect, turn you into the best possible version of yourself,
4: can I just interrupt and say this is the exact plot of a Rick and Morty episode? No. Okay. Like, come, there, there's a Rick and Morty episode that has the exact same premise where they go to a spa, and they get a digital detox, and you end up with like a really great version of them and a terrible, horrible version of them.
6: And there are also Star Trek episodes where you get split into mm-hmm. good and bad, and yeah, it's, it's not yeah. an unheard
4: of trope. Mm-hmm.
6: Also, yeah. a Red Dwarf. Yeah. yeah. And there, there are several films already out there that have done this, which I was kind of. Going to come to when I explain mm. what the film was like, you, about a little you, more. Which also what happens
1: if you do yoga. <laughs>
4: right. yeah. oh. I would have had a massive shit, and all the worst parts of me came out. Which, which, which one's doing the podcast job? Yeah. I'll let you, leave that for you to decide. But nice, John is trapped in the toilet, looking to escape. John, we're doing it again. Aren't we? We're destroying Peter's bit.
6: So, always. <laughs> he goes in there and has the operation. Next thing he knows, he wakes up in the forest with an adult diaper on, covered in cling film, buried underground. What they do is clone you, rewrite your DNA to improve any things that need improving. So, for instance, uh, his eyesight is fixed. He's now fertile instead of infertile. And they also transfer the memories onto the clone. And then they kill the original. Which is a hell of a way of doing it. I mean, there are arguments that teleporters work the same way. That they, mm. in effect, create a new version of that person and then kill the old person. Yeah, a series
5: of tanks underneath a the theatre. Yes, yes, the prestige. Yes. Yes. Exactly, yes.
4: I, that's so fucking annoyed me, that. I really got annoyed. When, this, when it's building up to a twist in the prestige and it's that. What a fucking load of nonsense. Honestly, <laughs> you're, like, you're watching a nice little period. It. Like, oh, it's a sci-fi film. Like I bollocks you, Christopher Nolan. You may continue. <laughs> <laughs>
6: It's good fun. I don't think it's ever going to be essential. I think it stands or falls on how you feel about Paul Rudd.
0: Everyone loves Paul Rudd. Well, there you
6: are then. I think if you like Paul Rudd, this not only has Paul Rudd in it, it has two Paul Rudds in it. Hmm. He is actually also really good at playing against himself as two different versions of the character, which not all actors are. You very quickly believe it, that it's two different people. Hmm. What level of seriousness is it?
5: Is it the Nutty Professor eddie murphy Uh, style or is it a bit more dramatic it's a bit
6: more dramatic it's not going for laughs right okay you know it's it's entertaining but it's not a comedy
3: Mm. yeah it's definitely a drama with jokes in it Mm.
6: and is it a limited series or is it something that will go on it's an eight episode half hour series from reviews i've read because i haven't watched through to the end yet apparently it spends quite a bit of that time setting up things that look like they're trying to get several series out of it
1: okay so, John, in which Nicolas Cage movie does Nicolas Cage act with himself? Ooh. Nicolas Cage has never acted with anybody <laughs> himself or otherwise. No,
4: I'm, I'm struggling to think. I mean, other than Face Off. Oh, I but.
6: know. Uh, adaptation.
4: Yes, that's the, that's the. I'm not interested in good Nicolas Cage movies. <laughs> 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 that is, you were about to say that is the good Nicolas Cage that movie. Is, that, were. Is, uh, that is a very good film. I, I, love, I love that film. Mm
0: hmm.
6: How did you find it, Andy?
3: I've seen the first four or five episodes and I like it. I'm looking forward to, to finishing it and seeing where it goes. Yeah, it does hinge quite a lot on uh, how much you like Paul Rudd, but I've never met anyone that doesn't like him. He's very charming and he's the two distinct versions of him. Uh, I find myself liking one and understanding one more than the other and then a flip-flop a bit. And they've done this kind of thing where at the start of each episode, they've had almost a little bit of a, a recap of the last one, but told from the perspective of the other one. So it's, it's, it's quite fun mm. to kind of retread the old, old ground that you saw in the last episode. Um, I, l- but- I like
6: that about the first two episodes, because the first one, you're essentially seeing Paul Rudd Prime, as it were, and what happens to him. And then with the second one, you essentially see the other one waking up on the operating table you empathise with the different characters in the two different episodes, I think. So is that something that continues?
3: It is very much, and I think it's quite an effective uh, little, little gimmick. Um, another important thing uh, for me is that his wife is played by Irish comedian Ashling B, mm-hmm. who is very good, and she's also very likeable and understandable. Um, a lot of the uh, show dynamic seems to hinge on her relationship with uh, Paul Rudd, whose character's name is Miles, i just remembered. And I, I hope it's not, too much for a spoiler to say that she does find out eventually um, that there's two of them because I think it's obvious that's going to happen and her reaction to that is, is, uh generates quite a lot of drama.
4: Was she in Taskmaster? Yes. She was. Yeah. Yes, yeah.
1: Does it warrant that many hours of television? Well, it's only four it, hours.
6: Yeah.
4: Oh, no. oh, that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's Less that's potential. Some of these, the some of these minutes,
1: series just, you know, like 12, 20 hours of TV and the, and the idea could be done in an hour and a half.
4: Yeah, <laughs> That's I why saw, I find it hard to watch box sets I saw something called Undone Which is brilliant but didn't need to be a TV series I mean it was 10, 20 minute episodes You could have cut half an hour out And had a, a long but good film
6: The idea isn't to get it over as quickly as possible Though if you're enjoying something yeah, but Why mean, would you want it to be shorter? It, 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 Do you it, not buy the special editions of things that are longer?
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it, but uh, we talked about the Iron one was three and a half hours needed every second of it. But every single bloody Netflix Marvel series and most Netflix series mm-hmm. have three hours in the middle where you're just like nothing's happening and you're just getting up to your contractual number of episodes. Things need to be as long as they need to be. That's what it's she the name of my sex tape.
5: <laughs> what you're saying is you never made it through all 26 hours of
6: Iron Fist.
4: No, I didn't make it through 26 minutes of Iron Fist. That was at
6: least 25, too many. <laughs>
2: It's quiz time now. Andy's got a quiz for us. Um, And we're going to play in teams for this. So Dan, uh, myself and John are on one team. And we've got Peter and Ian on the other. Are
1: you going to explain why?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Carefully. There's five of us. There's no fair way to do it, is there? Is
6: there? No, not
3: really.
2: (laughs) It's all right. It doesn't matter. (laughs) I don't care.
3: (laughs) I'm not interested in fairness.
2: To be fair, I did pick you first, but you ignored me. Did I? Yeah. (laughs)
4: Was that on Tinder, though?
2: (laughs) (laughs) So what's our buzzing noise?
4: Honk. 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 We have to honk. Mm. Honk.
2: Okay.
4: Uh. (gasps) Honk if you bonk is a dangerous thing to have in your car if you're going past a lake full of geese. (laughs) I had to have sex with each and every one of those. It took me 15 hours. (laughs) (laughs) Does John have to be on our team?
2: (laughs) Do you want him? (laughs) Andy, Quizmaster, over to you.
3: This is the movie First Lines quiz. It's fairly simple. All you have to do is name the famous nerdy movie character from the first lines of dialogue they speak on the big screen. I know that you like clear definition in rules. So, first refers to the character's earliest spoken line in the runtime of the film. So don't go overthinking prequels or flashbacks or anything. They don't count. I'm also considering different interpretations of the same character to effectively be different characters. So if I quote some Edward Norton as the Hulk, don't come back at me with Eric Banner or Lou Rigno.
4: Okay, so we want the actor name or the character Just, uh, Just the character, name. The character if, name.
3: If you want to name the film as well, do that for the a little bit of fun. specific iteration of the character. Just, just the character name will do. Um, so we've got 12 separate quotes and just uh, buzz or honk in when you think you know the answer. Get it wrong, I'll let the other team have a go. Okay. Excellent. All right, here we go. Number one. The world is changed. I feel it in the water. Honk. Honk. Galadriel in Fellowship of the Ring. Correct. Number two, I hate computers.
2: I'm going to go for it. Honk Neo Matrix.
3: You have honked incorrectly. (gasps) (gasps) uh, Honk Tron. No, not Tron. I'll give you the next line said by the next character, which is something to the effect of, the feeling's mutual. Dan, you love this film. Honk, it's not... Arnold in Jurassic Park, Samuel L. Jackson's character. Incorrect. Mm. One more guess, guys.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> is that Steve Jobs' film?
3: War Games. No, I know. No, no. This is the clue back of my mind. <laughs> the clue. Oh, you, you had a clue. <laughs> You've all had two guesses. Um, no, it was it was Alan Grant in. Ah, oh. uh, got the film.
4: His first line is I hate computers Yes, and then, right.
3: and then Laura Dern says The feeling's mutual
5: And they're in the Alberta Badlands I know it now Yeah, <coughs> sorry Yeah Partial credit <laughs> I, I
4: watched Jurassic Park The other night in 3D um, Good mm-hmm. film Doesn't need the 3D
3: No film needs 3D No Quote number three And you should all Know this one No, no,
1: no, no I kill the bus driver
2: Honk The Joker
1: Correct uh, Honk Joker There's no the In the front could be They're nice. in the dark night.
0: <laughs> Shit. <laughs>
3: Quote number four. Nice night for a walk.
4: Honk um, T-800 in Terminator.
1: Correct. We've got no points yet, Peter.
4: I know. <laughs> Use some of that experience, guys. Okay,
3: number five. What was that? Was that the primary buffer panel? Did the primary buffer panel just fall off my Gorham ship for no apparent reason? Honk. <laughs> That would be Captain Malcolm Reynolds in Serenity. Correct. God, I
0: don't um, know. Goran
3: being the clue for that one.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> Number six, I am Iron Man. You think you're the only superhero in the world?
0: A
4: honk. That would be Samuel L. Jackson and Nick Fury in Iron Man.
3: That's right, in the post credit scenes. Mm-hmm.
4: Oh,
0: so that we, was his
3: first line. Still with the chance, Peter. Still with the chance. <laughs> you just have to get all the last
5: six.
0: Well, when
5: I went to see Iron Man in two thousand and eight, when it came out, I left when the credits started because I didn't know that post-credit scenes were a thing. Oh, never, still never seen that one.
3: <laughs> <laughs> now you don't have to. I know. Number seven. The only matter that I do not take seriously, boy, is you.
0: Don't
1: Ian. That's um, um, evil um, Professor Snape. No, in Harry Potter, it's Harry Potter, I'm and it's Harry not. Potter in it. I'm That's afraid not. Uh, Dumbledore in Harry Potter. Still no.
4: Honk. Is it Dustin Diamond in Screeched? <laughs> he said by the Bell Porno movie. You know, it could be. Is I've it, not seen
6: um, that. McGonagall in
3: Harry Potter. Think less Harry Potter, <laughs> more <laughs> things that aren't Harry Potter. Running through <laughs> everyone in Harry. Say Potter. the line again. The only, I'll try and do it in the voice. The only matter that I do not take seriously, boy, is you. The voice
1: doesn't help. Uh, I'm going to say Pirates of like... the Caribbean. No. The way you said it actually sounded like, um, uh, what's the one? Uh, wait.
4: Honk. Okay, you say it again because it sounded quite sexy. <laughs> the only matter that I do
3: not take seriously, boy, is you. Honk, Mr. Miyagi. No. It's MCU, anyone?
0: Honk, Thanos. Correct. Yeah. Ooh. Guardians wow. of the Galaxy. Oh.
6: Number eight. Uh, but that wasn't his first appearance. His first, line, his first, line, his first line. He doesn't speak. Does he not speak
3: no. at the
4: end of the
1: Then he has a little smile no, to himself. Okay. We can't get any bonus points, Peter. No <laughs> point complaining.
3: <laughs> you can earn some dignity, though. No, we can't. We have no dignity. We're old. <laughs> Number eight. This is it. This is where Forrestal cashed in.
6: Indiana Jones. Correct.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Peter.
3: Dig restored. Tongue. You can right. have that point, yeah.
6: despite the fact that you did not honk. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> he did. I can smell it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, we get in there. Number nine. I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. Honk
4: Batman. Correct.
3: Number 10.
4: Although, oh, that's not really correct because there's a 1966 Batman movie. Bit. Uh, listen to, listen the to the rules. This was explained. Yeah. But you, you said that, that, Stop so, quoting Lou no. Ferrigno. Oh, so It has to be just that. Just the Michael Keaton Batman. So yeah. yeah. Okay, sorry. I've mis- Don't I mis- take away our points. I misunderstood the... Yeah, that's,
1: that's
3: three points minus. Misunderstood it. the rules. Number 10. What do you say to three shillings and we forget the name?
2: Punk. Buzz. <laughs>
3: I honked. Jack Sparrow. Correct. I knew that one as well. I was so good I got that one early. (laughs) Number 11. I think you may have all seen this film. Doesn't look like we'll have much of a choice, but I'll remind him. Honk. Luke Skywalker. Correct. Mm -hmm. And the last one. Come on, Ian and Peter, you can do this.
4: Honk, um, that's Ian Does Peter. (laughs) I'm on (laughs) YouTube.
1: That's not my first line. (laughs) First line
0: is... (laughs) (laughs) Don't speak with your mouthful.
3: How should I know they'd have a can of shark repellent bat spray
6: handy? Honk. The the Joker in Batman 66. No.
4: Honk the Penguin in Batman 66. Correct. Uh,
6: it was
3: worth a try. <laughs> it was a close one in the end, but um, <laughs> John Hazel and Dan have it by ten to one. That was a good quiz, thank you. What so,
4: um, shit, as the winners, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Daniel's already watched one. Plan not to win uh, worked. <laughs> so, I think Hazel as our team captain. You you win a special prize. You get to delve into my sack of fun. Yeah.
2: Yay!
4: How, how many things have you got to watch from the sack of fun? No.
2: I watched 20 minutes of the one that I got. I still can't remember the name of. <laughs> alright, alright. Let's go deep.
6: That's what she
3: said.
2: Oh my God! No. <laughs> no! <laughs> no! 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 I am not
3: watching that with you. W- what, what, have you
1: what have you won,
2: Mrs. Brown's voice? Oh no!
1: <laughs> no. <laughs>
2: mother of comedy.
1: Mother of God! Oh, I'll have that. I'll watch that.
2: Mm, brilliantly funny comedian Brendan O'Carroll stars an outspoken Irish mammy, Agnes Brown, in this brand new BBC comedy series.
1: Do you know what I like about that? It's awful. <laughs> but I do like using the uh, sort of outtakes and the bringing the audience in, and so you, it's it's clear that it's a uh, it's being recorded. Yeah, in a studio. It, yeah, mm. it's not it's not actually improvised, but the, but bringing those yeah. ideas in, mm-hmm. I quite enjoy that
2: bit of it.
5: Yeah, they do
1: a lot of almost certainly deliberate corpseing, don't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I do mm. I like that.
2: This is fair John. This is a two-disc set. It is. <laughs> 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 it's a TV series. This is that the
5: best. <laughs> I seem to remember when Nelson Mandela died, the BBC interrupted an episode of Mrs Brown's Boys for the breaking news story and got all sorts of grief on Twitter from it.
4: Uh, I actually killed um, Nelson Mandela just, just because him. I couldn't <laughs> cope with any more Mrs Brown. It's like he's it old, you know. Now it's time for our
2: in-depth review of review <laughs> <laughs> review. now it's time for our in-depth review of joker now just as a pre-warning we are going to talk spoilers here we're going to be going into quite a lot of depth if you haven't seen it you should be stopped listening by now but anyway forever alone in a crowd failed comedian arthur fleck seeks connection as he walks the streets of gotham city arthur wears two masks the one he paints of his day job as a clown and the guys he projects in a futile attempt to feel like he's part of the world around him. Isolated, bullied, and disregarded by society, Fleck begins a slow descent into madness as he transforms into the criminal mastermind known as Joker. So, um, before we get into uh, the discussion, I just wanted to ask a question. When um, the Joker movie was first announced, what would we all think to it as a premise for a backstory on the Joker?
4: Stupid idea.
5: Yeah, <laughs>
3: unnecessary.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
5: uninterested. Yes, genius. <laughs> but at least it wasn't going to have Jared Leto in it. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> yeah, he tried to get it stopped. He was mm. very angry. He, he tried to get his agents to get the film stopped because he'd been promised a Joker film. Oh, well, now he's got
3: that tattoo on his forehead for no reason. Yeah,
2: <laughs> his agent is also Todd Phillips' agents, so it really, didn't really, was, didn't <laughs> really think that'd very through. Never good to work enough. <laughs> no. All right, so we've all seen it. What are our kind of initial impressions of the movie?
4: Just grim, just unrelentingly grim. I very s- miserable, yeah. yeah. Well made, very well acted, but just no inkling of joy or light anywhere. And I'm not sure that's how I want to spend two and a half hours on a Friday night. And that's mm-hmm.
3: not to say that a dark, grim film has to be bad. No. But it was unrelentingly miserable.
2: Yeah, despairing, I think, would be my word. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah.
3: We sat
5: in the cinema as it finished, both thinking, I don't know what to think about that. Because it was well acted. It had great cinematography. It was compelling. You're never bored. But at the same time, I really don't think I liked it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, So it left me in this weird place of, I didn't like it, but it was, (laughs) yeah. Um, And I still am not quite sure what to make of it. Um, We went to see it because so many people are talking about it and there's been so many talking points i'm glad i've seen it so i can take part in these discussions but i, I just i didn't know what to make of it
6: i mean you know our messenger group's all been full of people talking about it for about mm-hmm. the past week it's certainly one everyone has opinions on and not all the same opinions by any means i mean for me i i enjoyed it enough it wasn't fun i like things to be fun as well a mm-hmm. bit more than that There was just this slight feel of, I don't know, irresponsibility or something on behalf of the filmmakers. You wondered whether they'd thought about the effects of everything they necessarily did or whether they just thought, oh, this will be fun. Let's do this.
5: Mm -hmm. I don't know whether they deliberately didn't think about it. On the one hand, it seems very obvious the real world potential parallels that it would have. But at the same time, you read these reports of Joaquin Phoenix in interviews when people have asked questions about this. And he's had to leave the interview and recompose himself because he genuinely Mm. not thought that was even an unintended consequence of what he was doing.
2: An incitement to violence. Like the whole notion of creating sympathy for a murderous criminal who develops a following. Yeah, that. (laughs) That.
1: I didn't see it like that at all.
2: Okay, how did you see
1: it? I think it's one of the best movies I've ever seen.
4: You've only seen two movies, though, Ian. Yeah,
1: yeah. And the other one was Nicolas Cage. (laughs) (laughs) I think think it's an absolute genius movie. And what I really like about it is the the main movie it's based around or or has a resonance with is King of Comedy, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reviews for King of Comedy were almost exactly the same as you're saying now when that film came out, which now is considered to be one of the classics of all time. I just think it just pushes things so far, changes up the DC universe, the idea of supervillains, and bringing them into the real world, I think it will be looked upon as an absolute classic. And I think you will all change your minds in a few years' time. I'm mm. watching it again and again. Yeah. Yes, it glorifies the culture of celebrity and you can get away with anything. And The movement of how you can start a revolution very simply by being disturbed. The film's all about mental health and mm-hmm. social um, collapse. I think it's such a relevant movie to write now. right on the zeitgeist, even though it's set in, what is it, 1981? 19... I think. 81. it's set. Mm-hmm. It resonates so much with where we are right now. You have absolute psychopaths in power, like Trump and Johnson, who have not necessarily killed people, but they've certainly trodden on people to get where they are now. And uh, and and the idea that you could become a messiah by doing something really evil, mm. I think is really interesting. I, I like the fact that I felt really sorry for him for ages and ages and ages, and then I went, "Oh my God, you're a lunatic! Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really I'm, I'm really scared of you because I." could be seduced into your world. It's almost like I felt like, oh, so I could become one of your disciples because mm-hmm. you're so sad and, and need so much love. I just want to fucking hold you, you know, and then you go get me, go commit your murders, which is what happens at the end of the movie, which is, I think that's, I think it's genius.
5: That reaction is quite interesting because that to me doesn't sound like you felt his violent actions were glorified because you had the sympathy and then he starts doing these horrible things and I lost any sympathy that I had for mm-hmm. him when he started going around killing people. So for me, it wasn't glorified, but the fact there were people within the film that interpreted it that way
2: yes, that was very
5: interesting. Exactly, and that's the problem you had with it, Hazel. That's
2: exactly my problem because that's the way you interpreted that and that's great. That's you know, You're an awesome person, that's, that's you. There are less awesome people who are going to watch this and have a different interpretation of, you know, I need that fame and fortune and this is a way to get it. That's why I was very unnerved after watching it and just feeling like this was the start of something.
1: Right, right back at you. I, I don't understand where you're all coming from by saying that because I hadn't thought about the impact that it might have on people. Mm. Mm. It might, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So
2: there's, a, you know, there's lots of film journalists um, coming out and saying, everyone who's saying it's an incitement to violence film is totally took it the wrong way. And I just think that's a bit irresponsible as mm. a film journalist because not everybody takes things the same way mm. From, mm. A, from a film. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's why filmmaking is, is, is awesome. You know, people have different interpretations of everything. Um, but it just in this scenario, because of the world that we're in today, I genuinely, when we came out the theatre and, 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 and walked home, I was feeling more unnerved. I was looking at people in a slightly different way, thinking, you know, just feeling a little bit unsafe, to be honest. A couple of years ago, I would have been walking home by myself and I wouldn't have wanted to. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I' be trapped room. in the
4: cinema. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> the film ended three weeks ago, Hazel, you need to leave. <laughs>
2: no! Yeah. I, I uh, loved the film in terms of. You know, Joaquin Phoenix was amazing. But for me, I just didn't like the effect that it had on me. I mean, Todd Phillips, um, he did a great job with this movie, but his uh, legacy up until now has been to make fun of people. Like um, in Road Trip, he made fun of fat people. In um, The Hangover, there was the character with a mental illness that was not defined. And in this film, his mental illness isn't defined apart from, you know, an uncontrollable uh, laugh in an situations. Yeah. It just feels like not enough care has gone into into that.
3: Uh, this mental illness beyond the, the laughter did feel a little bit like generic crazy and therefore it didn't really feel to me like a really honest and effective mental illness.
5: It is suggested that it's a brain injury. There's a point where he's talking about his past, or somebody's telling him about his he past. Change to radiator and, and yeah, mm. something about head mm. trauma. Yeah, I took the suggestion from that 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 is what happened, and he's thought it's a mental illness up to now, as has everyone else. But it might
1: actually be caused yeah. physically. Trauma. That's that's what I took from the film. Yeah, right. his condition is is caused by
5: abuse. However, I can see how easy it would be to interpret it just simply as
6: ah, people with poor mental health. Mm. His relationship with the girl down the hall, which then is revealed to have been entirely fantasy in his head. On the TV show as well, mm-hmm. again, we see his fantasy version of what happened. There is another reading of the whole film, which the whole thing
1: is just entirely made up. Yeah, I think what, what is great about the movie is it's really divisive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they should be. Look at us now, mm. right mm-hmm. here, doing mm-hmm. this. Yeah. An- another film that it pays huge homage to is Taxi Driver. That caused a huge amount of controversy when it came out about Vigilante. Mm-hmm. People were worried that everyone's going to go down the streets now and start being you know, being vigilant. Someone vigilante. did
4: shoot the president as a result of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: So, mm. Yeah, to your point, Peter, I'm almost fully on board with the idea that the whole thing is in his head and he's invented a backstory for himself. And the consequences of his actions were what caused Batman to be Batman to kind of give a justification for Joker against Batman. But then there's another theory I've read that suggests that the Joker we see as Arthur Fleck is not the Joker. Mm -hmm. He's the person who later inspired the Joker who
6: goes up against Batman, Mm -hmm. which works for the age gap. Though there is an odd thing to do with him creating Batman, which is if you look at his name, which is A. Fleck, a Fleck, who at the time was Batman. That's kind of weird, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. That can't be a coincidence, surely.
2: Yeah, the, I, I want to talk about fan theories, that being one of them, that he made the whole film up in his head. That The whole um, time he's laughing, it's as a result of his uh, you know, brain damage or, or whatever it is. The only time he laughs genuinely is at the end where he's talking about, is that a joke or you, you, know, you wouldn't get it when he's in the mental asylum. The, the rest of it is laughing inappropriately.
1: Yeah, I Another thing I, I really liked about the film, it showed the consequences of the violence of a supervillain. In, in in real visceral forms. In, in earlier mm. films, you, you would tie someone to a conveyor belt and they'd be slowly put into a laser beam or a crusher. And this was this was this, like just basic real ultra-violence. That's what really scared me about the character. I was terrified of him rather than, you know, contrived uh, exploding penguins or, you know, all the kind of stuff you get in the Batman films. So I yeah. thought that's why I was really moved by the film.
6: Speaking of uh, sort of inappropriate laughter, I know that was an issue you had with the yes. audience you went to see it with.
2: Yes. One of them was when... Um, Gary. Gary The little person Yes I thought there was a great scene In Joker's apartment He gets a visit by his two former clown colleagues One of whom he stabs in the eye with his scissors And the other one he lets go Because he's always been nice to him And he couldn't reach the door handle I, There's some insane laughter around us And it's just like Oh god This is why I was worried about different interpretations of the film Because you've got mm. people who laugh at somebody's yeah I'd that well, oddly, my feathers
6: it could have been uh, a very different way to take the scene as well because it could have been that he kind of says no it's all right you know you've been nice to me you can go sort of thing and the guy kind of nervously walks past him you know steps over the body of his friend it could have been played that joker was never expecting him to escape was purely doing it that so he now could
1: trap him and murder mm-hmm. him in a horrible yeah. the, the, the character you're talking about is a, is a is a person of short stature yeah and yes he'd be nice to him but also i think that there's something about the idea of being label
0: outsiders,
2: a freak, and, outsiders you know. being
1: a labour freak, that gave him the compassion at that moment.
0: Yeah. The
3: interpretation I had was more that he committed acts of violence against people that he felt had wronged him, and it was as simple as Gary hadn't wronged him.
2: That's why he turned on Robert De Niro, the TV host, because he worshipped him before mm. and just fantasised about being on his show. And then he put up the clip of him in the comedy store of him kind of uh, falling on his ass and that's why he went on the show to blame him for everything and, and blame him for the way that he made them feel. And then yeah, shoot but Interestingly,
5: in the when you got the scene when he was actually in the comedy club, there was audience laughter.
4: It was from his point of view though, wasn't it? Yeah,
5: it was. Yeah. And then you see the same event from the recording's point of view. Mm-hmm. You've got all these strange tipping points in there. Sophie, the neighbour down the hall, Anything she's done to wrong, Arthur Fleck, is his perception. Mm-hmm. You don't actually see her
6: do anything that's not very nice to him. Mm. It appears they basically met in the lift once. And after that, the next time she saw him was in the flat.
2: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about your clock?
6: Yes. So about yeah, a year... Your oh,
2: A no. clock? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks,
5: John. <laughs> Um, about a year ago on this podcast, I recommended an art installation at the Tate Modern called The Clock, which is 24 hours of scenes and sequences that have a clock in the background and the film syncs up. So you go and watch the installation at 8.30pm, you see film clips that are happening at 8.30pm. In Joker, the time when you see it on a clock is always 11 minutes past 11. When he's talking to the social worker at the start, that's the time on the clock, and there's a quick cut to him banging his head against the glass door of some sort of secure room, and the clock is also 11 minutes past 11 and you see that again later in the film and because i went to this installation i noticed these things now <laughs>
2: <laughs> i did a bit of digging in apparently um 1111 is a powerful number related to the awakening of the soul ooh and then someone else has dug up a, a bible fragment from jeremiah 1111 Therefore, saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them.
0: Ooh. Always look for the clocks yeah. in the background of yeah. scenes.
2: So Todd Phillips was asked about this and is like, I don't put Easter eggs in my film. If anything's like that, it's a mistake. It's another reason why I think Todd Phillips, it, it just didn't think it quite through.
5: Even if that was accidental, I'd claim it yeah. and say it was yeah. intentional. It was more Batman-y than I thought. There was a lot more connecting it to the world of Batman than I was expecting going in. I thought it was going to stand totally alone other than the fact that the Joker was in it. But Batman himself turns up as a little boy.
4: First shot going down a pool in the playground.
5: (laughs) (laughs) And a new way of looking at Thomas Wayne as well, who's always been this paragon because we've seen and heard about him from Batman's perspective. Hmm. And now we're getting a different view of him.
1: Again, this is about things that I think ultimately stand the test of time. Is that they 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 throw up so many questions and people overanalyze it so much. It's like a like a Beatles album, Sergeant yeah. Peppers. You can exactly. analyze that forever. All the images on it, you know. It's, it's something about the movie which I think will be talked about for a long time. What what scores would we give it?
4: Can I give it a two and a nine? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was just that it was a unarguably well-made, well-shot, amazingly acted film that I never want to see again.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I totally agree. I'd probably give it five.
6: I think it will torment you back into watching it to mm-hmm. see whether you feel the same way about it. No, in I, two. I
2: really, really, really don't think so. <laughs> <laughs>
6: I think I'll give it an eight and a half just because it does make people think about it and debate about it and that is the thing that movies should be striving to do. But I kind of also want to give it two (laughs) the same way John did. Because also you do sometimes get the sense they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. I would hover around that eight mark
5: as well, because while I might not have liked it, I've totally engaged with it. I've really enjoyed the past week or two of us in our messenger group talking about theories and deconstructing it and overthinking it and all the different reactions to it. It's rare that you get such a widely seen film that provokes that range of reactions. So I've enjoyed talking about it maybe more than I enjoyed Mm -hmm. watching it. An overall
4: positive clown face. It's me. strange because I would have put good money on you absolutely hating it. Yeah, yeah you told me that beforehand. Yeah, I
2: thought it was going to be another uh, Jurassic World moment where you, you talk about how much you hated it. And but Strangely, no. no. I think
3: maybe part of the uh, amount of debate around it is, is just to do with the fact that it's the Joker and it's a famous and popular uh, comic book character. The Phantom Menace has a massive amount of debate about it beca- just because it's Star Wars, but it's undoubtedly a 9 out of 10 film sure dan sure (laughs) i was really enjoying the film as i watched it and it was heading towards a solid 8 out of 10 for me and then i absolutely loathed the ending yeah and so i'd give it mm, five maybe it felt that the connection between the joker's story and the kill the rich class war thing that was going through the film just it was unnecessary i Mm. didn't think that was a story that was being told It, it felt a personal character study Thomas Wayne was a bit of a dick but he didn't deserve to be killed. I, I didn't buy into the class war aspect of it and then for him to be shoehorned into that at the end, despite A, his story not being about that and B, him actively saying he didn't want to be part of it, it felt like they'd cheated the good story they told up to that point and just made it something that it, it wasn't to me. Uh, I really, really hate the ending. If they'd finished it, After the TV studio segment, then I think I would have liked it a lot more.
1: Mm. Having listened to this brilliant debate, it's been really good. I I think there's two scores to give from different angles. One, is it a movie that thinks about social responsibility? Mm. It's flawed in many ways, and I can see your concerns about it, and I would probably give it a three on that score. But is it a film that creates conversation, debate, and is divisive, yes, and so I would give it nine and a half. And the mm. reason I give it nine and a half is because they shouldn't have used Gary Glitter's song, oh, dancing scene.
4: He doesn't get any money for it, though. It's all the rights. Still, long it's time just a bit go. stupid of the studio, yeah. wasn't it, not to
1: think about that? That's another thing. I just yeah. don't
2: think they uh, did their research or thought about it. Which is
1: the same because it's a great scene.
2: Yeah, the steps are in Brooklyn, and there's lots of people going now to jump down them like he did. Yeah,
1: Ooh. and I hope they haven't got um, Gary Glitter on the ride. Really hope so. Oh, I hope so too.
2: So. <laughs> <laughs> And that brings us to the end of another NerdFest episode. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to check us out on social media. We're at NerdFestUK on Twitter and Facebook. It would mean the world to us if you would leave us a little review and subscribe to our future episodes. That really helps. We will be back in two weeks' time, which will include a film buff or film club quiz. And we will also do a nerd debate about modern movie trailers. So please watch out for that one. Until then, you've been listening to...
5: A historian with a new favourite podcast. Andy Chandler. A maniac.
4: (laughs) Ian McLaughlin. (laughs) A clown that turned into a spider that turned into a car. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Hazel Thurston. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. On, bu- bye. Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we've got
6: Dan Watkins, Andy Chandler, Neil Lack, Big Day. My name backwards. <laughs> 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 Nesnep Roger. Ah.
4: Nodge.
2: <laughs> <laughs> My name backwards I think is Leza.
4: Really? Yes. Andy. <laughs> uh, <howdy>. Andy, <laughs> we have some news for you.
1: <laughs> Your marriage is to be a sham. <laughs>